0: good evening browns fans it's wednesday it's seven o'clock it's obr weekly my name's barry i'm publisher of the obr his name is fred greatham he is the legendary beat writer for the obr and uh, we are here to talk cleveland browns football on obr weekly Uh, and we are here to give you positive vibes i didn't know i didn't warn fred about this but but uh, uh I I am just going to be positive vibes tonight. We've had enough negativity. We all know what the news was today. Let's try and keep it as positive as we possibly can. Fred, how are you doing, sir?
1: Well, <laughs> it was kind of like trying to drink out of a fire hose today, everything that happened. I got up thinking it was yeah. going to be a real calm day for the first time for the first Wednesday of the start of the week. Um, And it was until about 8 o'clock, 8.30, when I got a text from the team. And, yeah, other than that, I think it's behind me.
0: (laughs) Good, good. Well, we're going to talk about what happens next. Obviously, everybody knows the big news of the day, uh, that uh, uh, Deshaun Watson out for the season. Uh, It is news that, uh, uh, obviously, uh, creates an opportunity, shall we say, uh, as Andrew Barry said earlier today, a challenge and an opportunity for his team in uh, excellent management speak. Uh, as Deshaun Watson is lost for the season following the fracture, a glenoid fracture, no less, of his throwing shoulder, the first time I had ever heard the phrase glenoid fracture in my life. Uh, they are less than 1% of all fractures. Did you know that, Fred? It's a very rare and special fracture that we have. I did not know uh, that. It, it's rare and special. Uh, probably from Italy. I don't know, uh, but uh, apparently, uh, full recovery chances supposed to be great, from what I understand. Um, everybody, you know, that we've heard from says that he should make a full recovery from this injury and be ready to go in twenty twenty four. Is that what you've heard, Fred?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the prognosis. And that's really why they made the determination to shut him down. He said today that he pled, you know, to be able to just play through it and then get the surgery after the season. And they said it's the type of injury that it just gets worse and you keep playing every hit or even throwing the ball 200 times a week in practices or whatever, the wear and tear that those bones Can just disintegrate in that area and then you're then you're pretty much done so that's why they had to do it the medical people said no there's no way you can play with this right and you know it's amazing that he played two and a half quarters with this he said today there was a lot of pain um but he wasn't coming out he had when he was talking to us he had a a walking boot on his left ankle. He has a high ankle sprain. He said that would not have kept him out. He could have played with that, but the medical people wouldn't let him go on with the shoulder. And I felt bad for him, to be honest. He was Mm -hmm. asked about, you know, the media has to ask questions, I guess, but they're kind of cruel sometimes. And, you know, it took him about, seemed like 10, 15 seconds to get his composure, you know, about, Missing the rest of the season. I think it should put sure. to rest any of this stuff that he's soft, that he doesn't want to play because he's got a lot of money. I mean, mm. he's going to get a lot of money whether he plays or not. And right. and he's, he's it's unfortunate, you know, like you said, 1% of the chances to get this. And I was on a radio show this morning and I said, they asked me about the ankle and I said, well, my source tell me that, it should be okay. And he should be able to play. And I said, but I've heard things like that before, you know, like Mm. with the shoulder and then it turned into six weeks and we kind of chuckled and left. And then we find out that totally off the radar that it was a shoulder, you know, by the way, we're going to take an X-ray or MRI of that. And that was the problem. So yeah, very discouraging news all the way around, you know, just when you felt like you turned the corner a little bit with the quarterback and the offense and you felt like, okay, things are clicking and it can only get better from here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And, and, you know, we, we certainly can, uh, can do that. Uh, We can uh, can sit here and we can uh, complain and moan about our fate in another gut punch that we've taken uh, as followers of the Cleveland Browns, but uh, uh, the team has to move on, and we're going to move on. We're not going to dwell on on it. Uh, way Too Dope says, prayers up for four. He balled out with a broken shoulder, uh, which he did, which he did. Apparently, he did not feel a lot of pain from that shoulder. He just mentioned it to the doctors after, after the game, and they went and they took a closer look on, uh, on Tuesday, and it revealed this, and uh, that's all she wrote uh red leader 74 says i'm feeling defeated as a fan i think we can make the playoffs but i honestly don't see us getting far without a good quarterback and that's very understandable um right after i got this news i was sort of sitting there feeling exactly the same way head in my hands you know how could this happen to us and i didn't want to feel that way so i i wrote an article and i put it on the front page of the site i just didn't want to spend the next two months feeling like that. And we, we've got to remember, I mean, you can call me a Pollyanna, or you can call me, you know, delusional or whatever, but yeah, this 49ers Fred got to the NFC Championship with a seventh round draft pick at quarterback last year. Uh the uh uh the 2017 Eagles got there with a backup quarterback. Um they won it with a backup quarterback. Um, you know, the uh, uh, Ravens, and I, granted, this is 20 years ago, the Ravens got there with Trent Dilfer. Um, you know, no one was blown away by what, by what they saw of Dorian Thompson-Robinson against the Ravens, that's for sure. But uh, I'm not ready to sort of, you know, roll it up and walk away from this season, Fred. You know, do you think that there's... Obviously, there's still a good shot that this team gets into the playoffs. Um, You have any words of encouragement for the folks out there?
1: Well, absolutely. There is, um, you know, I've written, I've said that the magic number is 10 wins. You have six on the board. You have Mm -hmm. eight games to go. You really only have to go four and four on that schedule. I don't know if there's anybody that you cannot beat, at least theoretically. Um, when you beat the 49ers without Watson and, you know, other, you know, the Colts is a little different, but you did that as well. I think there were two and two without him. So, you know, there's winnable games on the schedule for sure, starting this week. And even, even with the quarterback out the Browns are a better team than Steelers. I I don't care what anybody says. They got a better team. Now they're missing four main guys on offense. You know I I don't know. <laughs> you know when you got your two starting tackles, your Pro Bowl running back and quarterback out. That that's spotting them a little bit. But yeah, you know yes, they can make the playoffs. I don't think that's what anybody envisioned, especially the way they played this year when Watson was playing and coming back, you know, against the Ravens and everybody watching that had to feel they left a lot on the field. They could have won that game a lot easier and with good offensive play. And you felt that was right on the right around the corner going to start. And that, when you look at the way the NFL is shaping up, there's really no team that's clear cut. You'd say that team is unbeatable. Right. You know, but getting in the playoffs and going to the AFC Championship or Super Bowl is kind of a different story. You sound like Andrew Barry. He pulled up the same stats, the Nick Foles and the Brock Purdy. Now, mm-hmm. Brock Purdy, yeah, seventh round pick, last pick in the draft. You know, Dorian Thompson Robinson, a fifth round pick, probably a better athlete. I don't know if he's a better quarterback or not in the NFL, but it's certainly possible. But I think with the 49ers, they had a great defense and they leaned on the defense heavily. And they have a really good running game. And he just kind of plugged in and didn't mess up and didn't lose the games for them. He made plays when he had to, but they were very slow bringing him along. Where they got comfortable, where he, you know I would say he was a game manager for most of last year until, you know, there was times he had to make throws and make plays as any quarterback will. So that's going to be the recipe. The defenses kept the Browns in games or even won games this year. They're going to have to step up and do so even more almost the way the brand of ball, the Steelers play. Mm -hmm. But then the quarterback cannot turn the ball over. You know, I was looking at the stats as many as you, the the NFL stats comparing the Browns, the Steelers, and this was before the injury news. But you're like, how in the world are the Steelers six and three? They are in the bottom third in every major stat. They're like 26th in points scored. They're like... right you know, 28th in points, you know, all the way around. But one stat, turnover ratio, they're number one at plus right. 10. That's how they win games. And like we said last time, the Browns totally gave that game to them with those turnovers. So point number one is DTR, P.J. Walker, whoever's quarter, cannot turn the ball over. And that's going to be the mantra the rest of the year. You're going to have to have them play within themselves and be very conservative. Sure, you're going to have to make plays when it's called upon, but you're going to have to protect the ball and and hope the defense can continue creating turnovers the way they've been doing, and have shorter fields and let Dustin Hopkins kick field goals and you know and take advantage of the short field. So there is a path for sure to the playoffs, and then they have eight weeks to work themselves. And and get themselves ready that maybe they can make a couple plays and a couple you know in in the playoffs. But you got to get there first. So you know I said when Watson was playing, he does not have to be elite for the Browns to make the playoffs. He just needs to be above average and efficient. But to win the Super Bowl, I felt he had to be elite because when it gets into those big games. The quarterback's got to make the play. And he showed that in the fourth quarter the other day. And, you know, I was doing some research. I put out a tweet last night that Watson was the number one uh, quarterback in the NFL in the fourth quarter when the game counts. And sure, he had a small sample. what is was 147.4 was his quarterback rating. The next closest was 109. So his rest of his numbers were pedestrian but he was really turning it on the fourth quarter and that's when the games are won. So, you know, that's what you hope that DTR or Walker whoever plays can do is find the magic formula, get their feet under them. And it's not going to be easy starting out against the Steeler defense.
0: You know, I, I've got a theory on that, Fred. Here's my theory. My theory is that the Browns are a very physical uh, run first team and uh for example against the ravens they had a 10-minute drive right that 17 play 75-yard 10-minute drive and they just beat the heck out of defenses right you know over the course of a game they beat the heck out of the defense and by the fourth quarter that defense is weakened you know that defense is ready to be had. And that's why you see Deshaun Watson and hopefully DTR or PJ Walker or whoever do well in the fourth quarter. What do you think of my theory? Am I full of it as normal?
1: Well, it's a good theory, and that's what they need to do. And, you know, because of the circumstances, really can't talk about last week's game much. But I thought most everybody on here has watched Brown's games for at least the last – 10, 15, 20 years. And we've seen the Browns be the whipping boys. It's a Mm. tough physical division. And especially the Steelers and the Ravens just kicked, kicked your butts up and down the field every game, you know, and, and the Browns did that to the Ravens the other day. I mean, they literally that 10 minute drive right down their throat and it did tire them out, but nothing epitomized more you know, in that final drive. And I asked Kevin Stefanski on Monday about that. You didn't want to give the bottle Lamar Jackson or Justin Tucker have a chance to kick a 78 yard field goal to win that game. So you needed to take the entire time off the clock. And the only way you can do that is running the ball. And they did, they absolutely went right down their throat and took all the time off the clock and either won it or lost it on that last play instead of letting them have a chance to come back and win. If you if you had even right. left 30 seconds on the clock, you, you think Tucker doesn't have to get past 50-yard line and he can hit them. So that was showing them exude their physicality and toughness and nothing more exemplified it than that 12-yard run everybody talks about. You had all 11 guys pushing and shoving, all the way. And that's what it's going to take. you really, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but you're really going to have a bunch of no names out there, you know, as far as backups, backups to the backups. And if they play together as a 12 or 11, some, you know, you have a chance. And so I think your theory's right, but here's the difference. We've seen teams like the Baker Mayfield year when he was injured, they knew he, he was hurt and they bottled up the run that was with Nick Chubb and, you know, and they just shut down the run completely and made him throw the ball. And that's what they're going to do to PJ Walker or to um, Dorian Thompson Robinson. So they're going to have to make plays, but if it will start if that offensive line does come out and dominate and push the defenses around, that makes it, good all the way around and if the defense continues to stop the run and do what they've been doing.
0: Right, right. Um, after this news came out that Doreen Thompson Robinson was going to get the start, in Ask the Insiders, the very first question that was posed, right, we had a busy day in Ask the Insiders with a lot of questions and a lot of opinions that ended in a question mark Uh, One of the opinions that ended in a question mark was not complimentary with regard to Dorian Thompson-Robinson. He said, how how in the world can you start this guy? You know, answer me this, right? And, you know, I understand where it's coming from based on what he saw during the Ravens game, right? And it's an understandable point of view that, well, we got clobbered 28-3 to when Dorian Thompson-Robinson started the game. Why the heck are you going back to him? And that's my first question to you, Fred. Why do you think they picked DTR to uh, start this next game?
1: Well, I actually agree with the move going to DTR, and -hmm. this is why. They saw enough of him in training camp spring, summer, training camp preseason to decide he was better than Josh Dobbs, or they wouldn't have made that move. I don't think it was to save a million dollars. I don't think it was just totally to get the fifth or sixth draft choice. It it played into it, but I think they felt he was at this stage, even as a rookie better. Well, then you throw him out there an hour and a half before the Ravens game, mm-hmm. totally taking Deshaun Watson's word that he was going to be ready is, is my opinion because they didn't get the MRI till Saturday night. And then they said, well, so I think they were totally unprepared. This week they're giving him all the rest. they're going to get him totally ready as much as they can. And Kevin Stefanski's been pretty good when he has a chance to game plan a little bit. Especially you've mm-hmm. seen that with the offensive linemen, the tackles last week they weren't a big problem. And it's hard to cover up the quarterback, but I think they know what he can do good. And even if you have a limited package and accelerate on that, I think he has more of a skill set than Deshaun Watson compared to PJ Walker. And this is my opinion. It might be totally wrong, but I think PJ Walker, you see, is what you get. You're yep. going to get what you've seen. And you can always go back to him. This isn't like you're going to hurt anybody's feelings if Thompson Robinson plays bad. You're just pulling. But you have a chance. he's mobile. He's more of a a mobile quarterback than pJ Walker. And if you can incorporate that into your offense, I think that will help. And I do think it's been several weeks of him probably paying much more attention than maybe you know he did before because he realizes what NFL actions like and seeing firsthand playing the Ravens kind of the experience factor learning the hard way. So I'm willing to give him a chance. There's a reason nobody wanted PJ Walker and they were able to get him on the practice squad. Why did the Browns not release DTR and put him on the practice? Because somebody would have taken him. So I don't think, I don't think he's total garbage. I think that situation was total garbage and it might be again this week, but I, I say, what do you got to lose with him? I think he can do everything that PJ Walker can. I wanted PJ Walker just to not lose the game and to manage the game. Mm -hmm. He basically lost the game, you know, by turnovers. So Thompson Robinson did that in the Ravens game, but I think that was, kind of the coach's fault. And I wrote a story that was Andrew Berry's fault for trading Josh Dobbs, you know. On October 1st, I wrote that story and said, the front office shares the blame. You tell this kid at 10.30 he's going to start an hour or two hours before the game. He has no preparation. They hadn't worked He hadn't had snaps all week. What do you expect? So you got the full week here. They had an idea at least yesterday, this was going to happen. So I might be totally wrong, but I think I think he might be a little further along than he was in that first game.
0: Yeah, it's apples and oranges, hopefully, uh, compared to what we saw against the Ravens. And uh, we will see, obviously, on Sunday, but uh, uh, fingers crossed. Hey, by the way, Jake Burns is going to join us at about 20 of 8 and we're going to talk a little bit more about game planning with DTR in there. What does it mean? How is How do we expect Stefanski to adapt his game plan? Uh, in the meantime, uh, we're going to go over a variety of other things. Um, Fred, one of the things I wanted to ask you, uh, obviously this is a blow to the team's chances, you know, the playoffs. You know, I want to be positive, but we got to admit it. Uh, the t- players in the team have to realize that I was—I was just wondering, you know, what was the mood like there in Berea today? Uh, I know that you—you talked to the players, but you saw a little bit of practice. You know, you—you you, you generally get the vibe of the locker room. What was your sense of things out there? Were were people hanging their heads, or were they uh, was it next man up time?
1: Well, I think that the one one of the positive traits that. Kevin Stefanski has is a very even keel, whether they're ten and zero or zero and ten, and the players, you know, sense you know that the team concept. It's easy to say, you know, Andrew Berry said it over and over: is that it's an ultimate team game, and one guy, although important, you know, is not the end of the world. You know, that's and so that's the mentality of the rest of the team. Obviously, you have a small sampling of those we talked to, but um, I talked to Cedric Tillman and he, he's very positive that DTR is going to be ready to go this time. And he played with him in high school and obviously he's been around in season practice, but I think the guys were generally upbeat and, you know, I think a lot of them heard the news just like some of us, you know, on their way into Berea or, um, kind of like through the media or social media. And we're like, whoa, because I don't know if anybody saw that coming. They kept it very close to the vest. Usually the national guys have that kind of news on a Tuesday, you know, it leaks out the MRI results or whatever. So I think they believe in themselves, the defense. I think Anthony Walker said something to the effect, if you're ready to jump off, go ahead. You're going to miss out, you know? So mm-hmm. they really believe That they're more than just one player, you know, Away, obviously very, very important position, but you saw them, you know, what were they three and two without Watson or the record and, you know, four and three, five and three. And, and so I think it's remarkable what they've done. They're in the part of the schedule where I said, although you can lose any of these games, none of these teams they have coming up are unbeatable. You know, the Steelers, certainly are not. The Broncos, certainly are not. The Rams, certainly are not. The, you know, I think the Jaguars thought they, they got hammered the other day. You know, they could lose any of these games. They could win it. But they have eight yep. left. You win four of them, you're in the playoffs. And then anything can happen. The same thing can happen to any of these other teams as well. It's been the year of the quarterback going down. You don't wish that. But, mm-hmm. you know, do you think... What do you think the Chiefs would do if Patrick Mahomes had that injury? Or, or name right. any of these guys—they're all one play away from the same situation. So uh, anything can happen. And you pointed out—you know—the the guys that have done it in the past. So this allows them—you know—a little bit of the positive that Andrew Berry said is you're in a you're in a very unique position at six and three you really have the inside track of making the playoffs. And that's really, obviously you want to win the division and you have a track to do that as well. So how about going and make the most of it, get yourself into the playoffs and then you're going to be, you know, kind of the darling if you can make things happen, you know, along the way, the rest of the way. So it's just, um, you know, I think that's their mentality. They said, look, we haven't really counted on Deshaun all along and they're six and three. So sure, we were all expecting better quarterback play the rest of the season, you know, if nothing else, taking care of the ball. And he turned the ball over and set the tone the other day to start. But, you know, I just think I just think they have the mindset that they can win with whoever's quarterback play because they have the defense to control the opposition and then if they have to do more and get some takeaways to set up the offense and field goal range you know i think they have that mentality to
0: do so yeah the defense is going to keep them in games you know and uh as long as the defense keeps them in games uh, that 500 record to get into the playoffs sounds doable to me now bronze wrote in very early on and uh he said, Fred, be real with us. Where does this rank in terms of all-time lows? I've got my opinion on that, but uh, how would you rank this after having watched uh, a certain number of all-time lows over the past 30 years with this team?
1: Uh, I mean, I mentioned it last week, I think, you know, an all-time low. I think it was the 30th anniversary of Bernie Kozar getting cut and trying to force us to believe – tell us that Todd Philcox was better than Bernie Kozar yeah. to be the backup to Vinny Testaverde. Um, that was a low, I mean, the, uh, you know, obviously in the eighties, the <laughs> couldn't get much lower than the drive and the fumble and, and those years, but the worst was when the team announced they were moving, you know, that was exactly. uh, very de- I was sitting in Berea not believing what I was seeing saying I'm out here covering the Browns and I'm watching them being moved to Baltimore. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, there's no guarantee how this season would have went, but the biggest kind of the, the tough thing about it is you're six and three. You could have everybody back next year completely healthy and there's no guarantee you're going to be six and three again. You know, that's just how it is in the NFL. And it's setting up this year in the NFL that there's no unbeatable team, especially that I can see in the AFC. Yep. Every time they talk about a team being the team to beat, like the 49ers, they've slipped back. Then the Eagles, they've slipped back. And AFC are starting to talk about, you know, the Ravens. And of course the chiefs are there, but no, look at the bills. You know, I think everybody thought they were going to be a suit and they're five and five and they're, Their defense is the one that took the hit. So, you know, it's a low for sure. I don't know if it's the worst because, you know, last year it was like an 11-game injury to Watson that he was suspended. You know, Roger Goodell did that. We all know that story, you know. A six-week turned into 11-week when he upped the ante from the the judge he hired to make a decision. And so Mm -hmm. that was kind of a – that kind of blew that season off. So now you're yeah. kind of in another situation, but you're six and three. And right. if you can get to the playoffs, I think that, I think, you know, you think about the, I think about the, the 11 and five year you got in the playoffs and you beat the Steelers. And a lot of people, you sh- I was in Kansas city. You should have beat the chiefs, you know, and went to the AFC championship. And I really thought, this is an upcoming team with a first year coach and they're going to be here year after year. And we all know what happened. Mm. Injuries and, and they kind of went a completely different direction. So if this team can get in the playoffs with what they have without key players, that's developing a lot of guys that maybe you weren't counting on. And then when you get Nick Chubb, if you get him back and, Deshaun Watson and Jack Conklin and Jed Wills, all of a sudden now you might be ready to take another step next year if you fall short in 23.
0: Right. I, I'm with you, Fred. I was I was here in 95 when they took the team. We never knew if we'd have a Cleveland Browns again. I was here in, through the 1-31 years, and somebody said that in chat, really good comment, you know, I didn't get off the train when it was 1-31. I ain't getting off the train now. You know, I was here when they hired Mike Lombardi and Joe Banner to run the team. I didn't get off the train then. You know, we can uh, we can survive this one. And like he said, we're six and three with a shot at the playoffs. Uh, like Philly says here, I'm I'm not focusing on anything negative. This is a physical team that fights on Sunday. Let's go. And uh, I'm, I'm with you, Philly. When you say you, if
1: they go out there and, and beat the Steelers, which is very doable at home, you know, and I think at seven and three, you know, in the short term, I think everybody will be extremely excited. And then then you go from there, you know. So, right. like last week, I felt, and I called it in a story, that all focus should be whatever you got to do to be 1-0. and oh. mm-hmm. You almost have to have that again. Uh, another one and0 2.0 this week and then then you're really in good shape playoff wise you know obviously a total collapse but would be the undoing but what do you what do you do from here find out really what you have and then that's all you can do i mean mm-hmm. there's not many players you can add at this point in the season that are going to make a difference you know i looked at quarterbacks. I mean, I was on a radio show today and he said, how about throw whatever you can to get Tom Brady, you know, out of retirement because you got so much at stake and, or Matt Ryan. And then I looked at even street guys available. I mean, the best out there is guys like Joe Flacco, you know, Nick Foles. I mean, is that really what you want to do at this point? Why, what if, what if DTR becomes the Josh Dobbs 2.0? They felt in watching him, and I think a lot of you watched the preseason and might have got a little excited of what you saw in him. That's the same guy, okay? He's got it in him. He's just got to be, you know, (laughs) get up to speed at, at, at regular season game level. So, hey, why not? I think we've seen what we've seen about P.J. Walker, and you can always go back to him. So that, to me, is the biggest excitement to see this game Sunday is maybe the Steelers will let down a little and say, oh, we saw the tape. This guy's terrible. And he goes out there and does something extreme.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I am, uh, like I said, trying to keep it positive. A couple of questions we got coming in here uh, on the question of who's out there. Uh, Paul Spencer has this question. Uh, so does Heather Parsons. Uh, any idea? Who the Browns would be interested in terms of bringing in as that third QB uh, at this point? Uh, a couple of rumors have popped up uh, around the league, but uh, have you heard anything, Fred?
1: No, I just told you, I Looked up who's veterans. I think you know. Right. I don't. You're not going to be able to. You can't trade. You can't get anybody unless somebody gets released, I don't, you know, like Baker Mayfield last year worked his way to get released from the Panthers, I think. And, and then he was able to kind of pop around. I don't know who are possibilities. You know, I I heard maybe Ryan Tannehill or Mac Jones. I don't know. I don't know if those teams would just get rid of them. And if they would even be the answer bringing in a quarterback at this point, you know, would would be, it isn't an instant fix because a new offense and everything, we said it at the trade deadline, the Josh Dobbs or Jacoby Brissett would have been about the only guys that could come in and immediately help because they know the offense. And and we do know that Dobbs um, was being talked, he, he was possibly, the Browns were talking about trying to bring him back and ended up, getting the trade to the Vikings. So your choices mm-hmm. are limited. Now I didn't look at practice squads. I know some people that are more in depth than I am probably have a list of practice squad quarterbacks, because those are guys you can just sign, you know, that's how they got, you know, like when Kelly, Kellen mine got released, but I don't know if you're going to go, wow, I'm so excited that we got this guy. I don't think it's going to be somebody that you're expecting to light the world up. I think your best hope right now is that Dorian Thompson Robinson is able to do enough this week to win the game and then build on that, you know, Denver and LA winnable games. They are on the road, but he's from LA or played out at UCLA. So that could even be to his advantage. So no, I haven't heard any, I don't know. I mean, is there any other veterans that are in a situation where teams are looking to move on from them? I'm not aware.
0: You, the only other one I can think of is Garoppolo, where he might want to be released because um, who's it? Uh, whoever Pierce. got but some Pierce. Someone got fired. Pierce? Yeah, someone got fired recently and he's no longer wanted. Josh
1: McDaniels. Yeah.
0: McDaniel. Yeah, that's right. McDaniel got fired and he's probably yeah, I mean, no longer wanted there. Somebody
1: like that would be, would stabilize things, but I don't know how you pull that. You can't, you know, I, I don't think you can call up a team and say, Hey, can you no. cut this guy? You know? So I guess it
0: would have to come from the player and the agent. I yeah. No, I, I don't think you can. And I think that, in that I
1: think that's kind of what Baker Mayfield did, you know, when he got, re- you know, ironically, I think he was replaced by PJ Walker and, he asked for his release and then he went to the Rams and, you know, and so maybe, you know, there's, maybe that could happen. I don't know, you know, <laughs>
0: right. right. or Brian well, Hoyer
1: could ask for his release out there and get 39 year old Brian Hoyer back.
0: <laughs> he was, uh, he was, he was doing well when he was with the Browns last time, seven but,
1: and four uh, and they went to Johnny Manziel exactly. torpedo that season.
0: Exactly. Um, hang on just a second here. I am going to send our uh, streamyard URL to. Uh, uh, I'm going to send our link, so we can come here to Mr. Jake Burns because you should be available around now. We but I mean, Colt McCoy's on planning. the list.
1: Joe Flacco, Nick Foles, Trevor Simeon, Bryce uh, Pumpkins. You know, I'm not I don't excited.
0: Know. about that i'm not excited about kellen mond coming back to the team he looked horrible in preseason but i know they like him but
1: yeah i I think excitement there the best option right now is the rookie you know i just Mm -hmm. think kevin stefanski with a few days to plan even if you have a real small package you know he they put him in the seahawks game and he had that little shovel passed into joku for nine yards I just think you could do a few things like that. Very safe passes and planned runs where he bootlegs, you know, RPOs either runs the sideline for five, six yards or dumps the ball to a a safety valve coming across very safe stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, is what I would look to do and try to have him get some success early. And then you never know what can happen. I mean, Josh Dobbs was run out of Arizona after he looked good for a while. And then you see what he's doing in Minnesota, you know? So it's the same thing. I think DTR has more talent. I think, I think he's got better upside than Josh Dobbs, but you just got to get him comfortable and help him to have some success so he can get into the game and not be out there trying not to lose the game.
0: Right. Right. Right got to get them into a rhythm let's talk a a little bit about a couple of other things we've got some questions piled up here that we're going to get into uh and so on and so forth we're going to go a little bit late tonight um if we have uh, the questions coming in that we want to that we want to hit so i had a couple other things i wanted to talk about one was uh andrew berry uh was offered up to the uh uh media this afternoon who uh Asked him all kinds of questions. The names of certain available old quarterbacks were brought up and stuff like that. And Andrew Berry said, uh, I think we're comfortable with the room. That phrase came up about a dozen times. Did, uh, in your opinion, Fred, did, did you learn anything from Andrew Berry's comments to the media? Anything come out of that that, uh, that uh, is worth noting?
1: It was kind of like a drinking game, you know. I heard some comments that every time he said that you'd had a lot of <laughs> drunk sailors out there. Um, not really, other than Watson's gonna have is gonna have surgery next week. Well, I guess Watson mm. told us that. He so yeah, Andrew Barry's become very good. It's just like his midseason, you know, he was asked about trading Dobbs and that decision. And he said, this isn't the time to reflect on that. And and that was true. But he never will reflect on that with the media because it's going to be old news the next time we talk to him. It will be mm-hmm. after the season. And he might right. say something like, well, you know, we did what we thought was better. And especially if DTR does well, then they say, see, we made the right move, you know, or whatever. And everybody kind of hopes that's what happens. But, yeah, it's, you know reading it through. And I wrote a story about that today. He was trying to be like you, the positive of, let's look at this as an opportunity. We're six and three. We, we have in a really good position, you know, in the, in the AFC, I think there's only one team with a better record, maybe two, you know, and that could change, you know, with the head to heads going on this week. So they are in a really enviable position. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not all woe is me because it's more than just the quarterback. Sure, that's a big part of it. But he was trying to paint the picture of we have 52 other guys and we've done it before. We've been through the adversity, you know, with Nick Chubb and Jack Conklin and Jedrick Wills and last year and the year before the COVID year. And Kevin Stefanski has pretty much weathered the storm, so I do think that there is a lot of positives going forward. But as far as learning anything, I don't think I learned anything. I think that was really the Browns were just putting him out there to try to assuage fans and and the media. You know, you got to somebody's got to answer these questions, and they didn't right. want it to be Kevin Stefanski, you know, for his five minutes with the media on Wednesday.
0: Right, right. We had a a similar question from uh, Ty Sox asking whether we thought it was an ownership call to put A.B. out there. I don't know if it was ownership necessarily, but I think it was a deliberate decision to put A.B. out there instead of Stefanski uh, this afternoon uh, or this morning. uh, Well, yeah,
1: I mean, it's it is it's it was a hurried thing. We got the the note about nine or so. And a statement and then said that Andrew Barrett be available at 10, 15 to answer questions about it. And I think that was the right thing to do. You know, it's a tough situation around, but you got to deal with it. You just can't put your head in the sand. And, and uh, what do you mean? Yeah, nothing mm. happened, you know, because right. that is all anybody. I was on four radio shows today. You know, that's all anybody wants to talk about because coming off that big win, it just kind of put a big poof,
0: yeah for the fire
1: over, you know, the whole thing. So they're trying to put the best light. Where do we go from here? And I agree with that. I think that it wasn't really to learn information. They're not going to tell you all the details of the surgeries and all that kind of stuff, nor do you want to know. But they also did want to, he did want to make a point how tough Deshaun Watson is because I know even people on our forums and that, and with my, my ex feed, they question over and over that Watson's a real soft, that he doesn't want to play. Cause he got 230 million. That's the last thing. That's the furthest thing from the truth. This guy really wants to win and he really wants to mm-hmm. play. And you can tell that if you watch the game the other day, I mean, the guy ran for 16 yards to set up the winning field goal, on a high ankle sprain and a broken shoulder. I yeah. mean, yeah. he might not have known exactly. the shoulder, but he did say every time he threw the ball, it hurt really bad. And he, I think he thought it might've been the rotator cuff again and mm-hmm. didn't want to say anything. So, cause he right. was able to throw. So no, I think that put that to rest. That was part of the thing Barry wanted to point. Cause that was in his opening statement.
0: Yep. Yeah, uh, I, I think deservedly so. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the other guys who are are hurt and working their way back. Rocky Balboa wants to know about Denzel Ward. Uh, and uh, we'll first answer that one, and then we'll talk about some of these other guys.
1: Yeah, if you follow me on X at Fred Guthrum 9, I had a video of Denzel practicing today. I expected him to be sitting out today. Because he left the game with a neck injury, it thought first they thought it was a concussion, which would have been terrible. It'd been his fifth, but it was a cheap shot to his neck. But he was out there, so I think he's he wasn't even um, on the pre-practice injury report. So that was a big that was a big plus. There was three other guys that were you know in Marquise Goodwin still in the concussion protocol, Wyatt Teller. We did not know that he had an injury. He did not practice with an ankle injury. Um, And Juan Thornhill did not practice with a calf injury. Thornhill and, and Ward were the two that left with injuries that we knew about, other than, obviously, Watson. So the... There was four that didn't practice. Oh, Dewan Jones. He was out on the field again on the stationary bike, and instead of listing his shoulder and his knee, they only listed his knee. So he's making progress. He was questionable a couple weeks ago with a shoulder injury, but played. The knee injury, he did not play. So now we'll see there. But we don't know much about Teller. He wasn't mentioned after the game or on Monday, but he didn't practice today. There was a couple guys that came back. David Bell returned to practice. And like I said, Denzel Ward returned to practice. Um, so we'll see tomorrow who's out there, but it was to me, that was going to be the story, you know, Ward status until everything went haywire with Watson.
0: Right. Right. All right. Well, thank you, Fred. And now I'd like to uh, bring into, uh, the, uh, into the show, a, a Mr. Jake Burns, who has uh, agreed to join us tonight. And we can talk a little bit about what's coming next. Welcome, Jake. Good to have That's you nice.
2: here. Yeah, what's going on?
0: Well, there's a lot going on, and we are talking about it tonight, or trying to uh, get to everything. And one of the big questions is, obviously, how does Kevin Stefanski deal with the change in quarterback. In this question we got from E. Gillen, um, one of our longtime chat buddies, and he asked Fred, and so I'll give it to you first, Fred, and then we'll go to Jake. Uh, your offensive plan with DTR, how would you adapt uh, from Watson to DTR? Are there games similar, that similar that you wouldn't adapt a lot, or just in broad strokes, what would you do?
1: I'd kind of probably defer and let Jake say it and then I would say what he said because he's the quarterback (laughs) but like I said earlier I think you have to put him in a position what he's comfortable with what he does well the simplest way to get him into a rhythm and get him into a game flow I think he's got more mobility than PJ Walker so I would use his legs on rollouts and RPOs and Either he runs the sideline, avoid the hit, or dumps it off to Najoku or somebody, you know, stringing along with him. Um, Sure, he's going to have to make plays down the field, but I think you want to get him into a flow and do something. Say, hey, Dorian, what do you feel your best plays are? And then plan around that. I have to think, and I'm confident that Stefanski can put together a plan when he has a little time. I really think that Ravens game before you can throw it out the window because I really don't think they spent a lot of time game planning with DTR because I think Watson said the whole week he was going to be ready to play. They got the MRI and that threw everything into a tizzy Saturday night, whether that's true or not. That's how I feel. It really went down. So DTR was thrown into a very tough situation. I think he has a, I think he's a better option than PJ Walker right now. And so it's up to them to put him in position to get him comfortable as quick as they can in that game and not let Watt, Highsmith, and the Steelers wreck the game right from the get-go. Yeah,
2: yeah I, I th- use th- her. Yeah, I think Fred makes some good points. I, I would say there's been some sort of pushback a little bit on like, you know, you know Thompson Robinson was was practicing all week with the first team when Watson was out that week, right? And, I, and I, under, I understand where people are coming from, but there's a difference between, you know, at least in my opinion, there's a difference between knowing you're going to start and having everything sort of structured around you game plan, coaching points, uh, you know, personnel built to your favor to how they're going to play with you versus being a stand in. Because to Fred's point, and what we've all come to understand about that Baltimore game was that, yeah, he was taking the first team reps for Watson, who wasn't throwing that week, but the belief was he was going to play. So they were structuring a game plan around how they would have played with Watson, right? Which I think if you watch the second game was not all too different from the past game perspective of how they tried to go after Baltimore the first time. And I think that when you get a youngster like Thompson Robinson and you change a lot about how you operate in terms of what sort of play action situations you put him in, how you're asking him to read, the flow of pre-snap to post-snap movement. You know, we're going to high-low one side of the field. We're going to eliminate the other side of the field and then use your athleticism to try to, instead of sitting in the pocket, try to be able to manipulate your way out of it and use your legs. So I think you're going to see a heavy dose of running. I do still think they're going to put him in empty a little bit because they think that he can use some of the mobility that he has as a bit of a benefit, right? One read and go. I don't think they're going to ask him to process a ton, so uh, what I mean by that is they're not going to ask him to like, Hey, find your backside dig or find your third or fourth option. It's going to be a lot of front side half field reads. They're going to use some double moves to try to put him in some situations where he doesn't have to think much. Hey, we think we're going to get an isolated double move on the slot right here. Let's try to attack this, this throw. Right. I think they're just going to be very pointed with how they, they go about it. So, whereas you saw a lot of things with Deshaun Watson, where he would get two play calls and you'd hear him make a can call at the line of scrimmage. You'd see him, Oftentimes, have his hands out to the side, waving his hands, either making a can call or a rewind, where they're they're giving him two play options, and you're making a pre snap call. And and Watson actually talked about this in his presser after the game, where he said in the first half the Ravens were manipulating their pre snap to post snap safety movement, and uh, because of that, we're getting the Browns out of a lot of plays they wanted to be in, so on and so forth. You you cannot have that burden on DTR. They won't have that kind of burden. So you'll see a lot less quarterback manipulation at the front side of plays. They're going to allow him to just play reactionary quarterback ball, uh, eliminate the difficulty of reads and ask him to make some very defined throws. So They're going to have to run well. They're going to have to protect the edge as well. And he's going to have to make some throws in specific moments, right? No different than PJ Walker. They can use him in the gun read game, right? They can do some things off of their run game where they can get him into space and, and kind of balance out numbers where if he's reading a backside edge or he's reading a front side player on like bash concepts, he can, you know, help you balance out and unblock defender. So uh listen, there's no doubt guys they, they're down there and a franchise quarterback and all pro tackle for this season an all pro running back for this season. They're going to miss Joel Batonio and all pro guard for portions of the season. They're out there starting left tackle. The burden on the offense is immense and, they're adapting, evolving, and trying to do the best they can on the fly here to be the best version of whatever they have in front of them. It's it's really, really hard, so I don't want to dismiss that. And I think people will be expecting, demanding, and begging for a lot this weekend. And I'm just telling you, your expectation should be pretty low. They need to win this game with a defensive battle. It needs to be something like a 16-13 victory. It's got to be low scoring they're going to have to be uh, advantageous capitalizing on some opportunities on offense but it's going to be a struggle it's going to be a struggle and uh, you just hope that as Thompson Robinson gets more exposure plays more games uh, gets more comfortable you can start to expand some of the things you do but you have to also understand the personnel limitations that are also around him which are very real so that's a lot, but but I think there's a way they can navigate this, but they certainly cannot approach it as he's a plug-and-play for Deshaun, right? Can't do that. That's not the case here, and I don't anticipate this time they will be going through that thought process, largely because mm-hmm. it's early in the week, and they know what's going on. They have a clear, defined outlook for Watson yeah. that they didn't have the last time. So we'll leave it at that.
1: The other thing I think why Kevin Stefanski announced, and they let it out, leaked it out today that they were going to GTR, Because that's not his, you know, that's not the way he does it. Last week, they didn't even say who was going to play tackle until game time. You know, like when the inactives came out just before the game, I think he's saying, okay, this is the quarterback and this is, you know, give him so he's not looking over his shoulder and he can look all week on the guy. And sometimes, like I said, playing sports, that makes you feel completely different going into it when you're the guy you know as opposed to i'm just kind of keeping the seat warm you know for somebody else so i do think that's why they named him today instead of the secret stuff like well we're not sure we'll you know wait until the last minute so i wanted to ask jake you know if we had a quick time you know we talked about earlier how would this situation compare at all if you had dtr do with what the 49ers did with purdy last year i mean i know they're completely different guys yeah. but they were able to be successful with a kid that never played before and then they evolved as the time went on
2: yeah well i think we would all agree here that shanahan's really good probably one of the better coaches around a deception and like creating simplified um uh, decisions for his quarterbacks and, and and like like that's what we want we would like to see Kevin do a really good job with with deception and things that make DTR's life and throw opportunities easy eventually you guys would agree with me you have to step up and make some throws like you're just going to have to make big moment throws but i think that what Kyle does better than anybody is marry the look of his run and pass game in a very unique way right very compact very motion heavy and it creates a lot of very defined reads for his quarterbacks often And he did a great job last year with Purdy and that and let him and let him grow. Uh, But but the Browns aren't as adept at that. I think you guys would agree with me. They don't use motion as frequently, and I don't think they're quite as gifted, um, you know, on on the boot action and movement stuff. So I think that it's, it's it's let me put it this way. It's a goal of theirs in the offices right now. How do we make as many easy throws for Dorian as we possibly can to help him? They're going to try to do that stuff. They're going to throw a lot of screens, right? They're going to, they're going to, they're going to throw a lot of boot replay action, run action concepts that allow him to think less and play more. I think they're going to want him to use his legs a little bit. All of that is very much a play, but uh, I think that there's definitely going to be um, times of struggle that we didn't necessarily see from the 49ers largely because I think you would agree with me, Fred, they had Christian McCaffrey healthy uh, during that stretch run last year. And, and like, uh, You know Trent Williams is playing; they're healthier uh, along the offensive line. McGlinchey, I think, was with them at that point last year too. So there's a lot of those like elements that helped in in a large sense. But they can, and I expect them to give him easier opportunities than we've seen them put on the shoulders of Watson. Let's put it that way. I think you're going to see more shotgun boot action, shotgun play action, maybe even some more RPOs that he's a little bit more comfortable with from his Chip Kelly days in the past few years. So. Um, their work's cut out for him though, man, their work is really cut out for him to make him feel comfortable and give us some more of those glimpses that we all saw in the preseason that gave us so much optimism about who he could be. But, uh, I, I think that they'll probably like last week, they only ran four plays of wide zone. So you might see a little bit more wide zone, even though Pittsburgh plays that odd front defense that really gives that wide zone, some struggle at times. But, uh, I, again, I think they, they just, you know, with young quarterbacks, it's, it's usually half field reads one or two defined reads. And then use your feet to create. And then they're trying to give them as, ru- as much run action, play action stuff as possible and screen game to, to keep the types of throws, the severity of throws. You don't want them to have like more than six or seven stressful throws a game is probably the point, the point at which they're talking about because that's just that's a lot to ask a youngster to do against a very experienced Pittsburgh front. And even though they're hurt, they might not have Minka, they might not have their linebackers, they're obviously not gonna have their linebackers. They still coach them up in a unique way over there and get the most out of their talent. So it'll still be challenging.
0: Yeah, speaking of their linebackers, uh, you know I'm trying to be mostly positive vibes tonight, but uh, I can't get this nightmare scenario out of my head where we have two replacement tackles. They've got T.J. Watt. They've got Highsmith. We've got a rookie uh, quarterback in there. How do we take the teeth out of that pass rush, that fierce pass rush, that the Steelers have how do you game plan your way around those guys coming full bore
2: at this rookie quarterback uh you chip them you have tight ends uh in in line and you have running backs in line to to slow them down change their action level there's there's three things that come to mind for me so the first one's like I said running backs tight ends who are chipping them and giving an additional body to, to pass support before going out on routes right That's pretty commonly understood that that's a thing that you should be doing as frequently as you can. Now, some downs you can't do that, but other downs you can. Now, they're at home. This helps immensely. The crowd should be quiet. You can alter the snap count. You can do some manipulative things to keep the the edge guys from being upfield quickly. You should be able to keep those guys at bay, like I said, by having snap count differences down to down, series to series, so that Watt and Highsmith are not predicting the snap count and getting a feel for that. That is going to be imperative. On the road, you guys know it's different, right? Batonio's tapping center on the hip, and they're snapping it when it's on a silent count. It's a leg lift, silent mm-hmm. count thing, and that gives a huge indicator to those edge guys on how to get off the football, when to get off the football, and it's just a massive advantage. It's so loud and dense. It makes it really difficult to mix up any variety in the snap count. So that's a part of it. Another thing they can do a little bit of, and I think they will is what's called quick snapping, which is where you've probably seen this. I've, ri- I've written on it for us before, where you walk up to the line of scrimmage. Everybody's kind of breaking the huddle, walking up to the line of scrimmage. It's usually a third down play guys where you're like a third and predictable pass because you're not going to sell any run element off of it. But the center is the mm-hmm. last one up to the line of scrimmage. And when he gets down, everybody else is ready. He gets down, puts his hand on the football, snaps it quickly Usually the defense is ill-prepared to to get off the football right away, and that can slow some things down and create pass rush disadvantages. And then the last thing is screens. The best thing to do to slow down quick upfield edge guys is to screen in right behind them. And I think that the Browns have to do, after they did it to Seattle, uh, pretty effectively. We would all agree about that. Uh, I think the next two teams, the Cardinals and the the Ravens, said we're not going to let you guys screen game us. Well, the Browns have to put together some successful screen game this week. Because Pittsburgh will be chewing, uh, you know, almost chomping at the bit is probably the better way to say it because they're going to think that they have these massive advantages on the edge. And if they think that you can throw some tight end screens, you can throw some running back screens uh, and and try to create ways in which you take advantage of those guys playing too fast upfield. You just got to be as a quarterback comfortable with allowing that pass rush to get sort of at you on top of you and creating arm angles to deliver the football. You still have to get the football to your guys. So those are the way at which you slow that stuff down. Being at home, again, I cannot stress enough is, is just such a massive advantage to to helping move, alter, and differentiate that snap count that keeps those guys from being the first off the football uh, with really ridiculous upfield speed.
1: And you don't have to deal with a renegade in the fourth quarter. It's yep. like when they turn that on, you might as well just go home. It just seems like everything it's, it's, goes
2: crazy. It's a primetime. <laughs> listen, primetime in Pittsburgh is is a different mythical beast. They, they just don't lose those games. And – uh, I think the Browns can eventually get them on some of those, but for now that that the, the stigma is the stigma and it's really raucous to your point, Fred, it's very loud over there. And they do a good job of taking advantage of that. And you don't have that in Cleveland and the Browns have fared pretty well against Pittsburgh at home. And I think they, they have a chance, even though they're down Watson. they have a chance to still do that here.
0: I, uh, I want to ask you guys, uh, another question that came in from, uh, uh, Julio here, um, I never played organized team sports. I was in the band. <laughs> I just, it's foreign territory to me. And Fred, you played baseball. Jake, obviously you played football. Um, Julio asks, there's been a lot happening in Deshaun, Deshaun Watson's life now this. From the outside looking in, you know, with news like this that happened today, uh, what does it do to players on a team um, you know, the defense is so together, they're celebrating these plays, you know, Schwartz doesn't like his loafing, you know, after plays and stuff like that. Does, does something like Watson's injury today become a distraction, you know, for the team, or does it bind teams together, or does it just depend on the makeup of the locker room? I'll go to you first, Fred. You
1: no, know, I think this is a close team, I said earlier in the show. When they went to Greenbrier, they really did bond. And that was the goal, you know, of Kevin Stefansky. This team is close. They go out together. They offense and defense, in addition to position groups, sure, they're they're stung by the Watson news. But whatever this was said about his personal life or things going on, that's the farthest from these guys. They just want to win and they want somebody that can help them win. And now he can't help them win. Just like with Nick Chubb, it's not going to be a distraction. If anything, the defense will step it up even more. I feel, or they'll try to, and the offense mm-hmm. as well. Like I said earlier, the the going forward, the if I was to show over and over, if I was the coach in that locker room, I'd show that eleven man play where they all pushed forward for twelve yards. Because sure, there's some name players in there. But for the most part, it's a bunch of no, not no guys backups to the backups, pushing a backup to the backup, you know, running back and getting 12 yards and winning the game because I want to. And they have that. So, will it will they be able to carry that over? We're going to see. I mean, they keep talking about the total team sport, they believe in that. And so. You know whether the fans do or not, and whether it turns into wins, they they think they can go on and win. You know, despite the injuries they've had on the offense.
0: Any thoughts on that, Jake?
2: Yeah, yeah. No, I. I it, it, we're inclined to think that they have been handling this stuff really well this year in a way that is unique or different from versions we've seen in the past. I think that is the main reason, guys, that I have some encouragement from what's happened today which is again they have they have done a really nice job rallying against this stuff that has landed in their lap this year and won some ball games that that people didn't think they were supposed to win had chances and some others that they weren't supposed to be involved in so i'm i'm encouraged that the leadership the coaching staff the direction is able to absorb this sort of blow mm-hmm. um you saw greg newsom's tweet today and i think that that, that message that sentiment is being echoed by everybody, but losing Watson with definitive news that is out for the year is different than the hope that he's going to come back. So it is, it is something that can teeter, right? This game, this weekend is pretty wildly important for that regard. If they can win again, put themselves at seven and three telling themselves, we have to find three wins the rest of the way with backup quarterbacks and we can get to the playoffs and then anything can happen. I think this game has a chance to galvanize them and the belief that they can do it without Watson. They know they can win some games. That's not the question, but this bigger picture belief now that there's some finality in terms of whether Watson will be with us or not, they Mm -hmm. know that now. And I think, like I said, if they can get a a positive game out of the quarterback, just, just good enough, play stellar defense, win that game, it can springboard the belief that they know they need for the rest of the year. Now you lose this one. After you took a great step forward in Baltimore, you can start to see where that can get a little teeterish uh, there, which we which we don't want. But I'm inclined, guys, to think that they they deserve some respect for what they've done this year, mm-hmm. and they deserve some of our belief that they can persevere this stuff uh, until they show us they can't. But this is a really unique and difficult challenge coming this weekend. There's no doubt about that.
1: I'll say this: um, the you know, the as much as I think Andrew Berry, you know, was oversighted by trading away Dobbs, he has built a strong, deep roster. And we used to see this with teams like the Ravens and the Steelers when the Steelers would lose like a big name guy and a guy you never heard of goes in and they didn't even miss a beat. Now I'm, mm. that's kind of how the Browns are doing things like Mike Ford. Okay. Did anybody think he was going to be any good? You know, I never heard of him other than specialty. He goes in and Cam Mitchell on, you know, and they've got guys now, Dewan Jones, when Jack Conklin was lost, he thought, Oh, the season's over, throwing in a rookie. And are like, Oh, he's not too bad. And, yeah. and so I don't know how this will translate with the rookie quarterback. Obviously it's a big thing, but these other positions, these guys are filling in and and they believe because that guy doesn't say you know i suck but i'm getting put in the game kind of like the Blake Hans a few years ago right. you know and now they have the depth where where they're able to keep to keep going and keep winning instead of okay all hope is lost they believe in each other that the next guy really will be able to do his job
0: fair enough hey we're going a little bit long here today i've got a couple more questions that uh were asked in the chat that i want to get through thanks for hanging out with me uh fred and jake for uh, a little bit longer than we normally hang out uh this next question comes from mike and uh mike very early on in the chat said get 85 the ball early and often and i wanted to bring that comment up uh in a follow-up comment that he made uh a question that he had is he asked how do we get david even more involved and get him going earlier any tricks or assignments and jake this you know i thought about this as you were talking about the need for the tight ends to sort of chip the uh, the rushers right the need for tight end screens so on and so forth And it just struck me that the tight end uh maybe nick harris playing fullback a little bit going to play an important role in this game and just to Mike's question, how do you get uh, David Njoku, who's going to have these pass protection responsibilities, more involved in this game as early as possible?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's screen stuff that he can do, but but I think Incline, basically his recent yardage after catch stuff, I, I think that there's going to be a chance that Pittsburgh tries to shadow him or play him with a little less uh, cushion than, than you've seen recently. I think they're really set up well for double move stuff from the tight end. I I really do. They've run a lot of stick routes, a lot of choice routes over the middle at very shallow depths. I think they're ready for like an out and up from a seam perspective where they can put a double move on a linebacker who think they're jumping some of the Browns popular shorter route concepts that they like to run from either two by two, three by one or empty three by two. So I think there's a chance to get him involved there. I think you guys would agree with me. There have not been any throws to him up the seams. So I think if you get a blind defender on him this week, there's a chance that the coaching point from uh, (coughs) AVP and Stefanski is, Hey man, if you get a blind defender, a man to man guy on Njoku, give him a shot, let him go up and try to get one. So I think that could be an element of what they try to do along the lines of like making your quarterback think less, but giving a talented player, a good target. He hasn't had enough of those this year. He's been creating a lot after the catch. So I think Pittsburgh will be inclined to be a bit more tighter in coverage with him, which gives you a chance to give him some jump ball opportunities, which gives him a chance to run some seam throws against blind defenders. What I call statue defenders, who are those guys who are shielded from the quarterback. They're not looking at the quarterback. They're kind of chasing him downfield. I would like to see him get some of those opportunities and you can still be creative with him in screen game and try to get him the football from that spot too, because he is still pass blocking and chipping and stuff like you mentioned uh, as well, Barry. And I think he'll have some, some opportunities and drop zone coverages where, He's releasing late to get the ball in the flat or get the ball over the middle in a unique way that he did last week on that third and eleven that they converted in the second half, which is a really big conversion on that seventeen play drive. He was chip mm-hmm. releasing and late release, and Watson kind of just literally dropped it to him. He made a linebacker miss in space. I think Patrick Queen and created eleven yards on a third and eleven. So uh, again, I think Pittsburgh will be ready for that. They'll be they'll be in <laughs> tune with it. But I think this week more than any other, there's some downfield opportunities that are going to be there for him that have not. Been a huge part of what they're using him for so far, so uh, I hope they take advantage of it.
1: Yeah, I think that you might use a little more two tight ends or whatever help out with the blocking and different things because they don't want. It's like we say all along: you don't want TJ Watt or Alex Smith to ruin the game for them like they did last time. So, I think the biggest thing is you got to be pretty confident your defense is going to keep the Steelers under control. You just don't want to give the game away. So that would make sense to have help, but be creative. And Najoku is one of your biggest playmakers. Get that drop out of the way early, throw it to him first play. So maybe if he's going to drop it, he gets that out of the way. And then he goes on to have a beast of a game trying to make up for it like he did last week. But just kidding aside, he is a big time player and you just got to use them, you know, because they really haven't had the big production out of a second wide receiver opposite of Mari Cooper. I mean, Elijah Moore has catches. Last week we saw a little more of them downfield, but really it's been Cooper and Najoku has been really the big play guys in the passing game.
0: Uh, guys, uh, what I'm going to do here is uh, I've got one more question for you two. And then, since I've been leaning on your expertise for the last hour and a half or so, there's one question that only I can answer out of this team, and I'm going to answer it, and then we're going to close up here. But I wanted to uh, get to a couple of uh, comments, actually, that were made in the chat uh, about uh, an hour ago. Uh, One is from Tom Stakely, uh, and he says, DTR can do this. Please just teach him to slide. Go Browns. And Rocky Balboa answered, no lead blocking either unless (laughs) absolutely necessary. And we know that uh, uh, DTR has shown a tendency to get out there and, and try to get involved in the blocking game. And it leads me to this question. Deshaun Watson has obviously gotten hurt playing his style of football, right? DTR plays a similar style of football, and we cannot afford to get him hurt. If you're a coach, right, if you're Kevin Stefanski, are you trying to alter over time the way that Deshaun Watson or maybe DTR approaches this game to try to keep him healthy, you know, teach him to respect the pocket a little bit more over time, given what we've seen over the course of this year, at least? Fred, I'll give that to you first.
1: Well, I think they went out and got – quarterbacks with that skill set that mobility for a reason that's what they wanted to do and I think DTR is closer to Watson than than Walker is so I think you just have to design I don't know what the what the safest runs are but I think it's running out bootlegging to the sideline and if you don't have anything just running straight to the sideline and, you know, try to pick up three, four five yards, something positive and not take a lick. Um, you know, Watson, you know, is a little more like is willing to put his head down, take a lick. I think you want to coach into Robinson right now is look, you know, play it safe, get out of bounds or get rid of the ball. But you know, that's what they've decided to go with. I think ultimately you'd, I think Watson was starting to get comfortable and, and in the pocket and getting rid of the ball quicker, you know, instead of running and, and doing all the things he does, but you're just going to have to identify what DTR does best. What is the safest route for him? Cause you're right. You don't have much choice, you know, if he were to go down, so right, that's kind of what I say is devise whatever the mobile plays. That is the less stress on him getting hit. Any yeah, yeah,
2: straight? yeah. No, I think I think Fred hit a lot of it. I mean, with Watson, it's, it's some of his quarterback DNA. You know, if he can't slide or avoid these hits he took over the last two weeks in the Cardinals game in this last one with the rotator cuff injury that has cost him time already this year. I'm not sure there's much hope for him, not 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 bearing contact the way he, he clearly can't avoid. There's some serious reprogramming of that brain that has to happen in terms of how he handles games because he's not getting any younger. He's now dealing with a significant – if you look at the details, which we are going to post at the website here in just a moment, the details of that injury and what it carries into another season are grim. It's a rare fracture. It's less than 1% of fractures end up like this, so – uh, you're a little worried. I mean, a lot of worried about that. As far as DTR goes, can you learn from the example that just happened in front of you, buddy? Like the, the, your, your sacrificing of your body for a, a three yard scramble is not worth the long-term ramifications of being out for the entire season. So yeah, the NFL has baked in rules to significantly protect you as a quarterback, both in and out of the pocket, take advantage of those rules, live to fight another down. And you know, uh, you, you, I don't really have anything to add other than you just have to, you have to live in that reality. These linebackers are so big these days. They're Mm -hmm. so fast. Like you can't take these guys on. These are not college level. These aren't Pac-10 linebackers. These are big grown men. Like they're, they're legit athletes, the best in the world. You can't, you cannot do that anymore. So, yeah, I just uh, – I just, I hope that he's learned for as far as DTR goes, can you watch what happened in front of you and can you just simply take advantage of what the NFL has there to protect you? So anyway, that's kind of like where I would leave it because you know the, the scheme stuff, I don't think they're going to leave him in too many situations where he can't process it and then lean into his athleticism and try to create some positivity. I don't think they're going to leave him out to dry uh, in a way that I felt they did the first game because it was pretty clear they were dropping him into Watson's shoes and saying, hey, go out and do what he does. But uh, there are going to be moments where he has to make the tough choice. And hopefully he's programmed through his observations and watching and, and, and processing the, that he can make the right, the right call in those moments. Right. And, and I think it's a reminder to everyone
0: out there to tell your kids and grandkids to pay attention during their high school physics class. Because Jake said something very important here. He related to the fact that force equals mass times acceleration. When it comes to these linebackers, they are big, they are fast, they accelerate, and they can put a world of hurt on a quarterback. And these quarterbacks obviously have to remember that. And I want to thank both of you guys. It's been a long day. It's been a crazy day. Uh, Jake, I know you've uh, had to uh, take care of some sick kiddos at your house, and uh, God bless you for doing that. Fred, you were out in Berea all day today taking care of uh, the beat reporting for The OBR, both of you, thank you for hanging out with me, and thank you for hanging out uh, a little bit longer. Uh, Now's the point in the show where I can add some value. We do have one question for me. Uh, While keeping it positive, if things go south on Saturday, God forbid, uh, I'm asked if there's a particular type of alcohol I recommend to OBR followers. This is where I suggest, highly suggest, if you're watching this game, you counter-program Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh will be drinking Iron City and probably drinking some sort of hooch. Uh, Maybe Mad Dog 2020. I suggest you go upscale. I suggest you go dark beer, maybe a Guinness. Go bourbon, go Irish whiskey. I've been watching Peaky Blinders and going on a real Irish whiskey binge recently. Highly recommend that. Those are my words of wisdom for the day. We will be back here next Wednesday at 7 p.m., Fred and I will at least. Jake, thanks for guest starring on our show tonight. And uh, we will see you all hopefully to talk about a Browns victory over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Thanks a bunch for hanging out with us tonight. For Fred Greetham and Jake Burns, I'm Barry McBride. We'll see you next week on OBR Weekly. Good night. Thank you.